0: We all need to find better ways to catalog and manage our media, track our B-roll, monetize what we shot, and preserve those valuable assets for the future. My conversation with Mick Reed, CEO of Clippin, explains all, and this is yet another interview guaranteed to elevate your work life. Happy New Year, everyone.
1: It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania,
0: Mick, I just want to say hi. Welcome to OWC Radio. It's the holiday season, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. I am so curious about you and everything you've done and this wonderful solution called Clippin and everything that goes with it. But let's start with with Mick Reed. Who, who, mm. When you were five years old, what did you love to do the <laughs> best? What got you into all of this?
1: You know, I, I loved art it was my favorite um, was my favorite subject when I was a kid and i was fascinated with film um you know super eight we had this we had super 8 film um camera and we had this little it wasn't even a projector it was like this little box and you you spooled the the film through and there was this little thing about this big um and it wasn't even clear it was almost like a prism but you could see the image and of course you heard the click, click 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 of uh of the film going through it that was like my absolute favorite toy and when i was a kid you know, I was one of those kids with the super eight camera making little movies and stop motion and, you know, stuff like that. And of course there, that's a real time investment because even though you can shoot it, you have to wait. I don't know how long it was months (laughs) years to get it developed and then actually get it back. And then, you know, it was probably weeks at least. I don't know. I should ask my mom. And it Um, would come
0: back in those little metal cans, right? I I have a bunch of those, or no, they were plastic. I think mine were plastic. plastic. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: have a I have a box full of them and some I've transferred and the rest I I need to. So, but you know, I was I was that kind of kid. And you know, when I got a little older in high school, definitely in theater and you know, stuff like that, and um I would write, you know, screenplays. I wrote like a feature-length screenplay when I was, I don't know, sophomore in high school or something like that. And of course, this is a mid eighties. So, you know, you had video at that time. First time I saw a video camera at a friend's house and this was a kid who had all every, all the new stuff. He was the first one with an Apple computer. He had all the toys and everything like that. He was the first one with a video camera. I literally didn't believe that we could watch, we could screen what we had just shot. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. So anyway, um, I would make these little movies and I had, when I was in high school, when I guess when I was a freshman, um, there was a, a good friend of mine who was a senior and he was, he graduated high school. He went to NYU film school and that really opened up a lot for me because I would go in, um, you know, I go in on the weekends and kind of hang out with him and his buddies at uh, Tish Tisch school where they'd be watching these movies that I'd never even heard of. And you know saying oh that that shot is this dp and this shot is this and this must be this lens and blah 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 those aren't necessarily the things that i'm interested in but being around people who are really really into film and super creative was really inspiring to me and really um i think i think made that a possibility and one of those dudes by the way actually they they all worshipped um jesse cornbluth i don't know if you know that name but they worshipped him um and that was a name i i i got to know and one of the one of the kids or one of the students was um vince gilligan um and i remember seeing he made a little stop-motion lego movie um and um found out i was interested in writing screenplays and stuff like that and gave me a copy of uh i think one of his first movies that got picked up was home fries so i still have that in a drawer someplace so you know internet and all that stuff like i I, that was the first screenplay I'd ever seen, you know, formatting. So that's how I learned how to, you know, to, uh, to, to format a a screenplay. So anyway, kind of hanging, hanging around with these guys, um, made that a possibility. And then when I was in college, I, um, you know, I did, did a lot of art, soft language stuff like that, but, you know, film and independent study and writing and stuff like that. And when I graduated had of course, zero plan. For what I was going to do, <laughs> I'd written a bunch of screenplays that's and stuff typical. like
0: that. I thought,
1: <laughs> oh, you know, I thought, well, that's that's all I need to do. It's Um, but I I ended up um, getting a job just by pure luck. I ended up getting a job um, as a PA on a uh, a movie that fall after I graduated um, college, and I was getting a hundred bucks a week, six day weeks. Um driving the unit truck you know doing pa stuff i'd never worked on a film before so i had no idea but you know um it's everything from you know sweeping up to plugging the coffee into dropping off film at do art to picking up the dailies the next day to doing runs for art department and everything like that so you know, telling people they can't walk down the sidewalk, like everything. And this was a, re- this was a, uh, like a, probably $150,000 uh, movie. It was David Arquette's, I think it was his first movie that oh, he was wow. in. I don't <laughs> think it was ever, it was it was never released, but um, I worked, I loved it. You know, I mean, it wasn't about making a hundred bucks a week. It was, I was making movies and I absolutely loved it. And um,
0: that's a great way to learn though. You know,
1: being, it, it, re- it pe- really was absolutely it was um and you and you can go in whatever direction you want in, in movies right you can go I mean if I wanted to be to go to the electric department or camera or you know catering you know I did I did all that stuff but it was funny because I think on the third day of this shoot that there was a caterer and he quit and so I was doing all these runs and Um, they said, okay, now you have to make lunch for the crew. I knew how to make, you know, peanut butter and jelly. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: I wish see, (laughs) if I'd known that, that recipe, you'll have to send me that recipe. Um, I, I knew how to boil water and put pasta in and and dump, uh, you know, spaghetti sauce (laughs) over it. And that's what I made. And they were like, "Oh wow, you made this? Oh, this is really good. It's really good." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, yeah." And then the next day, they're like, "Oh, pasta again." And then the third day, they're like, "Okay, like we got it." <laughs> oh no! But I, I remember a guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's one of those independent, you know, New York, um, you know, film things. And I I remember a lot of the crew um, were very experienced, and you know, it was a very very talented talented crew. And this is something that I was obviously they were obviously doing because they loved making movies probably between other jobs, or whatever, but it was like a four week shoot. And I remember one guy coming up to me and saying, Hey, you know, people are noticing you're working hard. Like people notice this. And that was kind of the first moment where I was like, okay, this is that, that's good. And of course, that's how you get the next job and the next job and the next job. It's all word of mouth. People see you work hard and you're competent, you know, who do you work with last time? Who can we get? Um, and then the the second thing somebody said, which was probably, I don't know, second or third week was um it was a grip. And he was kind of kind of laughing, giving me a hard time, but he was like, watch out for this kid, you know, he's gonna be the producer on the next job, which is kind of an industry, you know, joke. And, you know, I worked my way through that movie and movie after movie after movie and production and TV shows and music videos and working for free on student movies and like wherever I could wherever I could work in production, kind of work my work my way out and up. Um, but it was uh you know, a few years later, um, I was a producer and um I actually hired this guy as a grip on one oh my <laughs> and, gosh and I reminded him of that too. And it was That's a great awesome. moment. It was like he's like, you did it
0: kid. I knew you. you know Yeah did it, kid. But um <laughs> oh that's wonderful that's full circle that's the way it is now you were still in new york for that or or la where were you in new york
1: always yeah i did a little work everywhere but you know Mm -hmm. always based in new york and Mm -hmm. after i don't know two or three years doing production i mean i wasn't there for a long time but had a you know very um you know made a big impression on me and I, i i worked a lot made some lifelong friends there and and worked on some really really good movies um you know, one of them. Just another, another story. I was, um, I was working as, um, as a PA, but I ended up being the craft service PA, and meaning I'm, I'm putting the coffee out in the morning and putting all the snacks and stuff like that, and which is a re- probably the most, you know, it's the most important per, <laughs> role on on set because you're coffee and you making sure everybody has energy for the snack time and yeah. stuff like that. Anyway, I thought it was the most important, and it was <laughs> a movie where Martin Sheen had a day. And he came on just to do a day as a a favor to uh his friend who was the um director and they sent down um entertainment tonight they sent down a crew from entertainment tonight and it was a camera guy with a pa and of course the pa is hanging out by the craft service table and we get to talking and there's a guy who said um i you know yeah, I make movies. And I was like, oh, I write movies too. And, you know, we're talking about making movies and how exciting is blah, blah, blah. And, um, he said that he'd made a movie and already shot it and a couple of years ago and, um, shot on Super 16 and didn't go anywhere. It wasn't real well received at all. But he had a new script that he'd just written and he was starting to shoot it. And his camera guy from, um, Uh, It was either current fair or entertainment tonight, or maybe it was, but maybe they were sharing them. I can't remember, but um, he was shooting it and they were just going on weekends and stuff like that. And of course they had the parking permit so you could park anywhere in New York, which really helps. And they had had the the camera equipment and they had kind of the deals and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we exchanged numbers and um, he called me up one day and said, Hey, can you help out? We're shooting. And that ended up being um, Eddie Burns and the movie was brothers McMullen.
0: Love and
1: us. you know sure enough you know two years later something like that he uh he won sundance and was picked up by what sony sony fox searchlight no, it was fox searchlight he was picked up by right um which was a huge you know huge story and the and the, the lesson i got from that and and i learned a lot obviously on i've been working on these huge you know these um pictures with you know really big crews and casts and stuff like that and it was him, director who was also on camera, camera guy Dick Fisher, um, sound guy, Stephen Youngman, I think was his name. And mm-hmm. that was it. And like somebody like me helping out and and whatever cast at his parents' house, that type of thing. And, you know, as as great that as that was as a you know, success for him, and he yeah. worked really hard. The big lesson for me was that wasn't his first movie. That was yeah. his second one. Right. Imagine how devastating that was after, or just hard, or how exhausting that was after making the first movie, an actual feature film, and then saying, "Okay, that didn't go going. I'm gonna make another one." And if you look at his career, that's what he's done. He keeps going, 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 being productive. So that's that's one lesson I've gotten. Uh, you know, in in creative, you know, in, in in a creative process. And if you're into movies or something like that, you just there's, keep going. You keep. There's one thing about. about
0: it is and and you're but you're also bringing up relationships our industry is really about our tribes right we yeah. move in packs and there's reasons for that and if you're if you're good at what you do and you work hard and you're pleasant and people like working with you you're just going to keep working and keep working and keep working and maybe because it, this is towards the end of the year where all the holidays are coming and we're all thinking about family and friends and reuniting um, it, you're just sort of touching my heart a little bit with all this. Cause it's reminding me once again of how much I love movies and how much I love the industry and how many amazing friends that we all have. So yeah, yeah this is, this is a big part of it, it but it's yeah. also a reason why. Um, and you're also talking about being a PA and working your way up. It's also a reason why we tend to hire people we've worked with before, because we trust them. We know they're going to do a good job. Yeah. They're not going to fail us. So if you want to get into the industry, I mean, unless you have a big trust fund and, you know, can, can do anything um, you probably are going to have to work your way up. So for the people listening who want to get into the movies, just take that offer. Just say, yes, just say, yes, get in there, do it. And, you know, you'll kind of work your way up, but Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's why we, it's why we got into it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I moved from production into post-production. That's basically, I saw somebody working on an Avid for the first time, which blew my mind because I, okay. From film to videotape to actually, I was in, um, I helped out in, in the editorial department on a, uh, feature length film, um, And it was 35 millimeters, so cutting on a scene back, you know, even when there was digital. But I'd never really seen an Avid before, and it looked incredible to me. And so I got trained. uh, I took a three-day course on it, and then I just stopped taking production work and said, I'm now an editor. I'm an assistant editor. And I just started looking for work, and finally I I got hired at this post-production house, mainly um, um, ad agency-type work um, in New York again, and learned so much about um uh, you, almost, you almost learn more about production and post but i learned about media management um i learned about sound i learned about editing um you know working with clients um animation um supers logos like you know all that stuff.
0: everything
1: <laughs> everything yeah you learn so much and and from there i basically said okay this is my education production through post
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, I opened my first, um, you know, production company and that's pretty much what I've been doing, you know, um, since then, you know, the last 20 something years and, um, until, you know, until 10 years ago when, um, or eight, eight, nine years ago when the DSLR revolution happened. And that was kind of my, um, I, my opportunity to start, uh, clipping.
0: And I'm fascinated by it. I really am. I mean, who first of all, let's just for the people who don't know what it is, tell them what it is and who it's for
1: so clipping does um, a few things. One thing is that we do virtual post-production um mainly for news organizations. so in other words, um, videographers will be out there in the field shooting b-roll. If you know what that is, you know in news that's uh, the uh, the anchor is talking about um a uh you know a snowstorm and then you cut to a snowstorm like that's a b-roll or a drought in the midwest you cut to the corn stalks that's you know that's the b-roll what they're talking about so news has a lot of that and um so you have uh, videographers all around the world um uploading footage through Clippin's portal and we capture the footage we capture the source metadata meaning the description the captions what is this who shot it all that stuff and then we edit it for uh any number of end uses um you know, it could be for broadcast um it could be for licensing it could be for stock footage monetization stuff like that so that's really you know it's really um virtual post-production and, and distribution monetization things like that um but as we were you know having these conversations over the years um, we would talk to companies about you know monetizing their video and um you know we'd say okay where where is your footage and they'd be like oh my god it's all over the place it's a disaster we we have all this footage it's on lto's or it's on servers or hard drives you know collecting dust bunnies in the corner or you know any any number of combinations and they didn't i i realized you know in the digital digital age the post post tape age um they no one's really organ, doing a really good job of organizing their footage
0: no, it's and, all, it's all on drives. You don't know what's in the yeah. drive unless they've, you know, a uh, a paper log that goes in the box with it when it goes into the
1: vault. That's exactly, that's <laughs> exactly it. Um, And so I realized that there was an opportunity, even, you know, even before, let's say we monetize footage um, for them. If, you know, they, somebody says, Oh, we have this incredible collection. We want to start selling it through Getty Images. You know, we want to license our footage through the stock footage market. Um, we say, okay, well, we need to access it. We need to know what it is. We need some basic information they didn't have that. So I realized that there's this huge opportunity to uh, essentially catalog and tag media archives, you know, specifically video, video is a lot harder um, than other types of content. And so that's the second thing we do. Um, we, we do that for big organizations, um, archives, and for a few different reasons. Um, I think everything that Clippin does, um, kind of boosts usage right so you can actually use the footage more um when you can find it you know when you can search and find it and access it you can use it more um but also it creates new streams of revenue um and and ROI and and future value um an example i can give for that is um a lot of times um, in broadcast um footage will come in and let's say it's for news and the, they have their workflows just to get it in, get it out, and then that's it. And maybe if if they're smart and more and more companies are smart now, they will archive it. But the problem is they don't have all that information of like what is it? Where is it? do we even own it? And it kind of goes in this big pile that they can't access. So when I say cataloging and and tagging, that really means what what is it from an end user point of view, from an editorial point of view? Like who would ever access this footage? Well, producers, editors you know
0: writers <laughs> um
1: writers right the people who are thinking of stuff and looking for footage right mm-hmm. um you know filmmakers obviously documentary filmmakers and stuff like that um and then of course people who are licensing that footage who are often the the same people um so w- how do they search for footage <laughs> and so knowing content is is number one, how you got the idea to do these things with clipping, but also also why, why we're really good at it because we know the users, we know, we know how the footage gets captured, it gets shot. We know how people use it and we know how people are going to use it. Um, And that's something, you know, that you need to know a lot of, a lot of moving parts to do it, you know, really effectively. And if there's one thing I'm obsessed with, it's, it's just streamlining workflows. And, um, thank you know, you. in all my, my thank companies. You, thank, you, I, thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank <laughs> you. I've been able to, yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> do
1: a whole podcast about streamlining workflows. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And it's mainly for selfish reasons because I've done a lot of things along the way. And um, I am a creative guy. And that's where I get excited. At the end of the day, being creative, I'm wired, I've got more energy at the end of the day, if I've been beating my head against the wall, trying to find some footage or organizing this, or I can't find this. And like the energy just goes down, 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 and that's important because not just for me, but it's important because we rely on creative people and creative kind of superpowers. I think of them as to get stuff done. And if you're burning, burning someone's you know energy down, um, they're they're not going to be as fast. They're not going to be as effective. And guess what? They're going to cost a lot more money. Yep. But it's hard to measure that because it's a creative thing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's hard think- to measure. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about um, I've I've done several uh, projects with National Geographic, and yeah. th- this was year, a few years ago, and I remember um trying to find footage stock footage from their older shows that we could cut in that i needed for for i think it was the orphan elephants show and i'm looking everywhere for footage um you know using the Fallmaker style databases and trying to find it and ending up down in the basement and they're opening up the 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 uh chain link vault where all these boxes are and i finally found this tape that i needed but then they bring you all these tapes with the cart you've been through this right yeah they bring you they bring you the tapes with the cart and a monitor this is i guess in the old days it's probably 10 years yeah. ago now and and then you have to go through all the all the tapes yeah. using media manager and i mean you are a dream yeah. come true and the other at the other thing i'm thinking about is the national archives when you're doing research there not all of that is indexed yeah. And so right. you have to you have to find a title. You have to go into the room. You have to pull out your yeah. cart. You have to look through the whole tape. So you you are. I mean, I
1: it, I I love this.
0: <laughs> this is amazing. It's,
1: yeah, it's. I mean, it's good. It's good for everybody. It's kind of this virtuous cycle. And and I, I always think of that joke. Like if you ever, you know drop your car off um, <laughs> to to get serviced, and there's a poster on the wall that says you know good, fast, and cheap. Pick two. Well, I think if if you design processes and systems right with people in mind in the UI, the user interface in mind, you can actually get good, fast and cheap and mm-hmm. again, grow mm-hmm. future value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing the con- knowing what content is respecting content, knowing all contents, different understanding that they may have a general description. Um, but not actually what is on the tape, like what type of elephant, for example, or where is it, or what's happening. You know, these are all things that would be important for the person who's searching it. Sure. Um, but not just kind of object recognition, which is something, by the way, that AI is really good at. AI is good at um, compliance type things. You know, is there nudity? Um, are there logos? Is there profanity or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really good for that. It's really good at object recognition. Um, but it's, it's almost too much information. Um, and if when you start thinking about conceptual keywords, um, or themes or tropes or things like that, and, you know, let's say you know, when, when I think of stock footage, I think of there's an editor or producer somewhere, maybe it's the same person with a hole in, in their, in their script or hole in their, in their timeline. And there's a shot before and a shot after right and they're looking to fill that with something and it may be su- something super specific like the the you know the the audio track says sunrise or something like that or it if it's not specific it's success or a good feeling or something like that so there are a lot of different ways that people search for footage mm-hmm. and discover you know discover footage. And, um, you know, AI is good for a sliver of that, but for most editorial uses, it still takes, you know, the human or at the very least human people, you know, human, human people who are uh, humans, who are, um, you know, curators and let's say taggers who are using AI as, you know, one of their tools, Mm -hmm. but it's still, you know, there it's, it's still, um, it still takes what I, what I think of as not artificial intelligence but kind of metadata intelligence is a, is a right. term that we use because you have to know that there are different types. Um and when it comes to streamlining, you know there there are two two things in my in my past um that kind of illustrate this when I was in college I I had a, uh, I was a house painter. That was my summer gig. Again, I don't recommend this at all. It was, <laughs> looking back, I should have been interning, you know, at MTV or something. But as a house painter and then there was this, there's this company called college pro painting where you could get a franchise. They basically gave you a town and, um, some help and support. And they actually gave, gave me training and I would never really been trained how to paint houses before. And one thing they taught you was look, when you go up the ladder, take everything with you. And, uh, you know, uh, it got me thinking like, oh, okay. Super efficient because yes, and, and again, I'm hiring, I'm hiring training crews and how to do this. And I realized, oh, okay. If they need to take three, three trips up the ladder, it's taking more time. It's taking them longer, increases chances that they're going to fall off the ladder and get hurt. And all these things it's, we're, we're not going to be able to finish by Friday. So we're going to have to pick up on Monday and that, you know, messes things up. So there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of good reasons to be, to be efficient. Doesn't mean careless. Doesn't mean too fast. It just means efficient. Um, and then later on, um, you know, Ted Hope, of course, uh, producer. So he, he wrote this really famous handbook for production assistance. And one of the rules was don't, is basically like, don't touch something twice. If you pick up a C stand, know where to put it. So you don't have exactly. to keep
0: moving it. Exactly. exactly. Like that type of thing.
1: Yeah. And so with those things in the back of my mind, um, you know, once I entered, you know, post-production, um, I thought about, you know, how do you build, how do you build a cut? How do you build a timeline? A timeline How do you put the fence posts in? How do you, how do you process footage, whether it's an interview or B-roll or whatever? Um, that's the craft part, you know? Um, there are a lot of examples like that in the world that aren't, you know, creative. You know, I pass, I passed people, you know, on the street, like uh, I was in London recently, and they were, they're putting new tiles on this, on this roof, on the roof. And there were like three workers there, one in the truck, throwing the tiles to another person on the ground, catching them and then throwing them up the ladder to somebody who was up doing it like super efficient. And that's the type of thing. It's like they do it better, you know, better, faster, cheaper, right? They know how to do it. That's, that's the craft. And so anyway, that's our approach with clipping, like to have that efficiency so that we can do this processing so we can do more for mm-hmm. our clients, you know, faster. Of course, that's important when there are deadlines and things like that. And then, you know, getting, I don't want to say cheaper, but, you know, you're getting the most value out of that. Um, sorry, right. I went on a tangent there, but that's, no, that's no, basically I'm... the second thing Clippin does. And the third thing is kind of related in that we... Um, we do monetization, or right? like straight monetization of of footage. So, you know, ideally, we're doing a cataloging project where we're looking through everything, and um, you know, we've done an analysis, and we've you know, the content analysis, the the tech analysis, where is it kept, what metadata do you have, stuff like that. But the end user analysis, like, what are your goals for this footage? Right. And and so sometimes it's like, okay, we want to use it, we want to access it, we want to search it, find it use it and we also want to monetize it so then we go through essentially a single pass and maybe we'll highlight or or tag some uh some clips for monetization something like that but Mm -hmm. we also can go into um an archive and and go through and just strictly for um you know for licensing
0: so now how does that work you know what though before we before we go i have a lot of questions on that i want to backtrack if you don't mind because i have i'm thinking workflow Um, you you have huge clients that you're on NDA. You can't really talk about, so I'm not going to put you on the spot, but um, for example, you have this big client, they're shooting, I don't know, the world cup just, you know, as an example, how do they, in what format do they send you the footage and, and can you track that footage and sort of explain to me how that workflow works? What happens with it? Do they, um, do they, send it to you using what transport for example so, am i understanding this correctly yeah
1: yeah yeah kind of um you explain know.
0: to me how it works you know how so do you get the
1: footage yeah something that's like a live broadcast is not something that we okay we, we okay. would okay be in the middle of that footage so it's more archival more
0: archival well, B- already it's shot it's kind right. of like
1: b-roll okay and and um archival yeah so it's not like live that's that's its own thing but of course there's a lot of that and we might design something you know it's all about it's all about an analysis and seeing Mm -hmm. okay and and literally going through every step
0: Mm -hmm.
1: of the we call it the life cycle of the clip Mm -hmm. who captures it you know or even even before that how does this get assigned Mm -hmm. what system we're using for assignments Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know why is that important because it might be important You know, maybe there's a little, maybe that's the seed of all the metadata that follows. Maybe there's something that actually follows Mm -hmm. it around and at a certain point we can take that Mm -hmm. and you don't have to redo it. So we're always, again, we're always looking for the path of least resistance and to minimize the time required for our, you know, the time and resources for our clients to send us the footage. But in something like that, we, we may, you know, we'll do an analysis. We'll say, okay, where does the footage go? Okay. Now what happens at the end of the day or where are you streaming that? Mm-hmm. Can we pull that footage too? Mm-hmm. So as you're sending that to broadcast, can we pull that too? And then we'll start chopping it up for for something. maybe it's a sound bite maybe it's a b-roll clip or something like that. Um, you know, with all the rules that attached to it. and we probably will have designed an interface for our editors and taggers um, to for it to be super efficient, you know, with just the fields that they need right. in a certain order. Um, a queue-based workflow and, you know, things like that. Uh, more often, it is um, footage that has been shot and um, and then we are either pulling it from an archive or going into an archive or, you know, pulling we're accessing an archive. Um, or um, one example where we add a lot of value is when it's, again, it's not a live feed, but when um when footage is getting sent for post production they will send to Clipin. so we'll create a essentially a portal we call it the dashboard mm-hmm. um with a super intuitive fast optimized you know upload wizard mm-hmm. but um when you send the footage is this a point of upload or ingest whatever right. you want to call it this is one of the most valuable moments because most of the time they send footage you know in non-clipping workflows let's say that um they send the footage and then it gets used and then it's kind of lost there's a lot of metadata that's lost it's 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 in somebody's head someplace so what we do is we have a form that has a title you know title description date shot location any notes for the editor you know things like that embargo it's completely customizable. Or underage, like want.
0: children in this, you're not allowed to use oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, release that kind is, of thing. You yeah, know, there's
1: a step where you can upload mm-hmm. the release to, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah, um, and it's basically all that source, um, you know, source metadata, source metadata, or source captions that you would that you would ever want. So you're you solving a know. big problem
0: because I mean, I'm you know, when someone's in the field and they're shooting for a network and all, and they're taking notes right the director yeah. field yeah. field producer which it the title's different depending on which company but they're taking notes i've been taking notes copious notes about what happened that day and here yeah. are the here are the here's the digital media and yeah. these are the notes that go with it and i cannot tell you how many times the editor never sees the notes yeah yeah it's like <laughs> sure. it's like they somehow in transit gets separated. So I think you're solving a huge problem there too. And it's heartbreaking when you're in the field and you're working (laughs) on something and it's wonderful. And you made sure to let them know about this amazing moment and the editor doesn't hear about it.
1: So So this is music to my ears, but, but that's, that's is, that is the heartbreaking thing. That's, that's what motivates me. Um, because we care, we're shooting this stuff because we're we've already established yes. we're filmmakers. Yes. like we care about this stuff, and we don't want you know if we want somebody to know something that will help the project make it better, we want them to know that, um, and we don't want anybody to waste their time. I mean that's pretty much it. Um, mm-hmm. We want to be focused on the fun part. Mm-hmm. And we want to help other people as well. So it, it sounds sometimes it you know when I talk about this stuff clearly you get it, but when I talk about it, I'm like am I completely crazy? Cause this is like common sense. Like, why doesn't anybody, why doesn't anybody do this? But, but I I don't want to put a percentage on it, but it's most of the time, you know, 95% of the time I'd say um, that there may be a lot of systems in place or they've tried something new and the producers don't want to do it. And, you know, maybe for good reasons, because it's super clunky. Or they don't have that time to do it then, stuff like that. But we figure, again, this is where where it's important, knowing the content, knowing the project, knowing the types of, knowing the roles on Mm -hmm. every step of the way. Because Mm -hmm. we understand. It's like we, I feel your pain. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we can do is we can, okay, you can't press the upload button until you fill this stuff out. And in the end, and we'll help you figure out how to do this quickly so it's not... You know, it's not hard for you. And if that comes, if that means going back to when it was assigned, like when you were first assigned, how was this assigned to you? Is it an email? Is it this? Is it through an app? Is it, you know, let's let's start capturing this stuff so you don't have to do double work. And when we when we get that source metadata and and clip and processes it, let's say we process it somehow, whatever that means, and there are extremes. We could actually do a full edit, um, or maybe we're just sending it, you know, sending it on to somewhere else. Um, but when I talk about future value, you know, when I talk about boosting speed to market, that's the first thing we made. we've, we've uploaded and now it gets to the producer and guess what? The producer who now has access to the footage, isn't going to their email or their text or their WhatsApp or their Slack to figure out what it is, which is Mm -hmm. what happens, right? It's like all together in the same place. So that's it. Get it's gotten to them faster through upload protocols or whatever. But now it's it's a faster process for them to figure out what it is. It's more collaborative because the editor has all the information too. And when the editor is done, this footage is archived, and we've got that source metadata. So the archivists absolutely love us. So absolutely. For the short term, it's good for everybody. But then long term, that's that's the growing future value because if you don't do that. It just sits there costing you money. You can't access it. And you and when when you talk to Clipin and we say, Where's your footage? What kind of metadata do you have? Um, they say, Oh, we, we you know, we we still have to figure out how we're gonna get that to you. We don't even know what we have, or it's on LTO tapes and that we have very little information. Oh, it drives that me crazy.
0: It <laughs> drives so, me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I
1: was at I was at this conference last week or two weeks ago in, in uh Pittsburgh for AMIA, which is um the moving um, image archivist association and i i talked about you know i talked about um video of course i talked about mobile video too which is um something i'm pretty focused on and um the feedback was yeah this is something that people aren't really thinking about it's a problem but it's almost like so, so big a problem that people don't recognize that there's any other way to do it like they just accept they accept all these inefficiencies and the workflow and the product chain and stuff like that. They just accept it. And um, why that matters is because these archivists are focused on archives and that's, maybe that's going back 20 years. Maybe it's going back 150 years, you know, but archives, but they have all this footage um, that are we still going to have that, that footage footage? from some industrial or corporate video or something like that. Are we going to have that? Are we preserving that? That's our history. That's
0: our legacy. And, you know, the other problem, too, is that because the formats have changed so often over the years, that some of those older formats that maybe weren't, weren't even digitized completely are sitting on shelves somewhere and they're not logged um, you can't find it, and I think that yeah. may be why a lot of the t v stations literally don't keep or at least they haven't very often in the past kept all of their footage you know after a certain number of years, they don't have it anymore, can't access it
1: so you know so many of them have <sighs> you know I hear these stories of dumpsters full of old tapes and stuff like that yeah and and what what did they lose? you know, obviously there's a cost associated with keeping tapes and stuff like that, but what did they lose? What did we lose? That's our history. Now yeah. they can know the, all these local affiliates, they can no longer tell history.
0: I can't tell you how many times I've been working with a young filmmaker and they're out shooting and et cetera, et cetera. And they're not logging. They're not logging their footage while yeah. they're shooting. And, and I ask them about that and they say, well, I know what I've shot. Oh, you know, I, I know, I know, I know how I'm going to edit this. I've got it in my head. And then I always ask them, well, what are you going to do if 10 years from now that f- you need to find that footage again? Yeah. Or if your client says to you, which happens all the time, you know, there was a shot, blah, blah, blah. Can you find it? Um, yeah. Can you send it to us? We just have a smaller resolution. Can you send us to it in, you know, raw? Can you send us the raw file? You have to find this stuff. Um so i'm thinking what you have is great for news it's great for reality it's great for tv series uh right anything
1: any anything with video i mean i've helped i've helped companies kind of start their communications department and Mm -hmm. things like that and Mm -hmm. um again i'm kind of a one-trick pony i'm focused on you know media but like video specifically but It's a heavy lift if you don't do it right. And it's pretty easy if if you do. And what you were just talking about, um, I can think of dozens, dozens, maybe hundreds of examples where, um, you know, I was successful um, and I really served my clients because I had organized the footage in a way that made it accessible. Not just the footage, but the project file and the related documents and the script Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm you know super it's organizing a sock drawer it's saying super organized so that when the client says um when they say that um you know we need a change or could you find this or could you find that or even if it's my own footage in my own projects that I can actually I can find that stuff um you know more easily I can I can do it faster for them so that's a quicker turnaround um it's cheaper for them right so, and, and it's also gaining, gaining the trust that they can work with me or my, and my companies, because um we can, you know, we're organized, we can do things yeah. fast, you know, and, and it's, and we're not going to charge them an arm and leg because it takes us forever to do, you know, it's not that big a deal. Some things shouldn't be that big a deal.
0: Yeah. So where does the index, I'm going to call it an index. Uh, Where does the do the logs live physically? Where can you? So if if I'm looking for something and it's on, I'm trying to understand this because I I love workflow. I have all of these raids, old raids that are, you know, the drives and the raids. And if they're not on my main server here, they're archived in in uh, temperature controlled storage.
1: And I'm looking
0: for something, for example.
1: Well, so there are a few different ways. I mean, we we have designed clip-in um in a way where it's not like a closed system. We're not trying to get your footage and mm-hmm. then we keep it and then it's mm-hmm. really hard to get out. We it, mm-hmm. that's not really how it works.
0: Good. We're kind <laughs> that's of That's
1: great. you know, we're kind of um you know, we're either Working with you or parallel to you, okay. Um, but even the choices we made with our own platform and uh, and our MAM, our media asset management system, maybe it would. Maybe I can go into a little of that Please. detail of how how yeah. it works. Well, you know, first of all. We realized that um, we need to process footage. We need to process it visually, and then we need to pro- add, add enhanced metadata—call it that—to mm-hmm. to the footage. That could be raw footage, that could be clipped footage, that could be something where we add the in and the out, and or a marker or something. It could be linear, or um, but we but it's either visual or it's kind of you know tagging. And for us to do that efficiently, um, we need a you know, we need our own platform to do that. And it needs to be super customizable and we need to do that very um quickly. So it needs to be agile as well. And um as we were, you know, searching for you know the right technology behind this, this was really the first time that I got into media tech. Before that, I always describe myself as I'm a workflow hacker. Mm-hmm because I'll figure out the path of least resistance with a lot of different systems. Because again, just looking for, trying to remove the friction points or avoid the friction points. Um, But I never really got into technology, you know, um, coding and and development and stuff like that. So Clippin was really the first time, you know, I I designed an application. And one thing that became um, clear very early on is that we needed to be in the cloud. And this is about eight years ago, and um, which there wasn't a mam in the cloud at that point. Um, But we knew we need to be in the cloud because otherwise, um, when you have on-prem systems, then I'm kind of in the hardware business. I need the servers. I need the people maintaining the servers. I need, you know, the air conditioning, the fans, the fireproof, like all. I need. I need a lot. To, the liability
0: to that. insurance. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, well, I need the, I need this physical yeah. space, and yeah. and then if I need to add something, I need to buy that. Like it, and if you come to me with a you know a petabyte um, archive, and that's not even a big archive. It sounds sounds big, but you know, um, then now I have to invest in more servers and that, and I need in a bigger room, and you know, and on and on. So we needed to, we knew that we need to be in the cloud, and um, that didn't really exist at the time. And so, as we were looking for a solution, there was a company, um, a leading MAM company, that was looking for a guinea pig, basically, and uh, and we we were connected. And for a couple of years, we we developed this, um, you know, together to be in uh, AWS. It ended up being in the, in the AWS cloud, and we had been using a, a MAM um, from a company called Squarebox called Cat Mm -hmm. Um, which was really built with our same methodology and our same philosophy towards this to be really flexible and not a closed system and, um, scalable. So, you know, kind of a low price point to, to enter, but then you could do a lot more with it. Um, after so after doing this with the with with the Mam company of actually being in the cloud we kind of went back to cat tv and said hey we're experts in doing this stuff in the cloud now we're the first company you know to do this and now we want to put you in the cloud and so um that's what we did with them about five years ago but we've been editing maybe a little longer six years ago we've been editing in the cloud for five years over five years and a hundred percent in the cloud so not only does the footage go up to the cloud but then our editors you know it's a queue-based workflow they see the footage they see the package come in they um they see all the description what is this then they actually edit it by edit i mean i anything that you can do in you know premiere pro or avid i mean that's what that's what we can do from color correct color grading um to yeah, actually editing the footage to um and audio you're... mixing and you know stuff like that. We can we can do and there's a there's there's a range of what we need to do, but we can do all that stuff. Wow. And and then when we talk about transcoding it, let's say we're let's say we're editing MXF files or something like that. Maybe maybe we're distribu- distributing to four different places. Um if we're distributing to four different places, maybe they have four different formats that re- they require. Mm-hmm. So we're mastering to one, but we need to transcode to ProRes422 to mm-hmm. one and Something else to something else. We can do all that in the cloud and just kind of pay as you go. So that's the advantage of the cloud.
0: Yeah. And your but, audio sampling will be different
1: too. Yeah, yeah. All all those specs. Yeah. Right. All those specs. And so we kind of build a whole matrix of not only metadata matrix, but all the formatting and stuff like that. And we just see where can we do this super efficiently.
0: Okay. So I'm sitting here and I'm yeah. using file cut or premiere, or avid yeah. or whatever. My original footage is living in the cloud. Okay. So So the library, does the library connect to the cloud?
1: Well, okay. How does that
0: work? Please go under the hood on that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So right now with, and there are a lot of different variables here and there are different types of workflow, but I'll just use, you know, one case study of somebody out in the field shooting. And they use a clip and dashboard. Right. When they upload and the footage goes into the cloud, and let's say we're right. doing post-production on it, Clippin's mm-hmm. doing, it, doing mm-hmm. it, and eventually we're going to send all the RAWs back to you mm-hmm. with all this enhanced metadata, the source and the ha- enhanced metadata, and we're sending you back all these assets that we've created from that. A B-roll wow. montage, a clip that's
0: uh, oh to spec
1: for Getty, something else, a SOT, you know, um, SOT sound on tape, a soundbite. You know what whatever it may be, we're sending that back to you with all this metadata. So now you can use it for whatever you need to use it for immediately, but now it can be archived as such. The format is, you know, it, it's just a metadata format. So we use XML. So um a it's essentially a media file and then an XML sidecar gets mm-hmm. created. Mm-hmm. And then that gets ingested into the clip and MAM. Mm-hmm. So we have the brains behind our mam media asset management system which is the brains of our whole operation is is cat tv and it's in a couple different parts right there's the, the the heavy client which is it's just a it's a big database and it's at its most simplest it's like um you know, it's like the, the search function on your desktop, but on steroids, it's like you can search for anything and there's a history and stuff like that. But then you can also do stuff with that. You can automate things. So if you press a button, it automatically goes to, there's something called a worker that then sends it to something that they retranscodes it or something, whatever step you want. Or maybe we pull out just a certain kind of metadata or maybe we take these two metadata fields and we join them with a script and it creates a title or something like that There, like there's a lot of things we can do and then and so that's just a database and it's called a mysql database and again that's mm-hmm. related to cat mm-hmm. tv it's very open mm-hmm. source is not proprietary but it's, it's very very flexible what we send it as could be any number of things and that goes back to why we picked this Mam because it's super flexible so if i need to send a json file which is a type mm-hmm. of metadata file or if mm-hmm. i need to send it into um let's say getty images uh their their um their api for distribution or if i'm sending it back to you for your Mam, um and let's say you have a licensing platform which is completely different specs you know that's just an, that's just kind of a taste of what can happen those are all different specs and what it is is just like okay spit out these metadata fields in such an order call them this and in that format and then send it back to you so there's not it's not a again it's not a we're not building an archive for you we're helping you build your own archive, right? And at, at the most simple, let's say you don't have a good system. Like, uh, let's say you have a the most basic system is which is you have a bunch of hard drives, <laughs> but you don't have a mam, right? Or a DAM or a CMS, whatever you want to call it, right? A ma- ma- media asset management system, DAM is digital asset management system, CMS content management system, whatever you want to call it. It's a way to it's a way to organize and search media assets, right? That's basically basically what it is. So let's say you don't have something like that, but at the very least what we can give you is we can give you, you know, the, the media file with a metadata sidecar, and then maybe later you're going to ingest it into something and then you'll have all that metadata and it'll be, you know, it'll be more searchable for you. That's really the way, um, you know, most media companies should go. And, you know, the, The ones with the resources are starting to do that. And, and they're also realizing, oh, wait, we have a problem with our archive, Like we don't have good transparency with our archive every single day. And it's not just news, it's documentaries, it's corporate videos, it's communications, it's marketing and stuff like that. Every single day that we don't ingest this better, we're creating a bigger pile of Uh. stuff we have to sort through, which is, again, from my point of view, it's a lost opportunity it's a time sink. And for the people who actually make the decisions on this stuff, it's, it's lost revenue. Like you could be making more money off of this stuff. And, and so many times that's really what ends up, you know, selling the client on this, that because the person who has to sign off on, it's like, I don't care about the efficiency. I don't care about the editors and the producers finding this stuff faster. I don't care that we're going to save money because we have more footage and we're not buying from other people. I don't care about that. Like, Warehouse is going to make me money. And I think we can answer that. You know, we can answer that question. Let's say you had this collection and you wanted to create your own licensing platform or even an an internal media asset management system with different roles and permissions. So the intern that you want to have looking for some footage because you're creating a, um, you know, highlight reel or something like that to the editor who's been with you for 10 years, to the producer who's a freelancer to you, right? all these different roles and permissions. So that in turn, well, they can look at stuff, but they can't change it. The editor, well, they can look at stuff and they can add metadata to it. You know, the producer same and you, well, you can do all of the above and you can actually delete an asset, which is a big, a big thing. Like non, you know, you want this to be non-destructive. Sometimes That's you want to <laughs> delete stuff. I mean, there's, yeah. When you when you have you know petabytes of footage, there's stuff that you're gonna want to delete, and and I don't like deleting anything, but I mean stuff that's just you know five minutes of black or something like that, or you know assets that are actually there's really nothing on it. You uh, eventually want to purge it, but that's a big you know it should be a big decision who who does that and
0: and, yeah, how, and the, you how don't do want. Yeah, that 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 kind of level of access is something that makes us very nervous. You know, you don't want anybody being able to do anything to your footage by mistake. You know, well, it, it would never be intentional. it will just be because they're careless or yeah, by mistake.
1: The advantage of a cl- of the cloud. Again, we're fans of um, AWS. We've been in AWS for eight years or so um is that there are different levels of storage and you can have automatic backups and things mm-hmm. like that and you can have mm-hmm. you know make sure there's not a virus and you know you can have a vpn which is a vir- virtual private network and you know, like um the highest level you know the highest level of security are one of our biggest clients is um a, a big financial services company and you know i'm not exaggerating when i say if they uh you know if they um got a virus in their system and might bring down the markets like that type of, that type of thing. So they're super conscious of, uh, Mm -hmm. of security and that's, that's the, that's the level that we, we um, operate at. And I don't want to say it's um, more expensive or more complicated. It's not, it's just doing things a certain way. It's knowing what Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I always think about risk, you know, um, how are you managing risk and how are you future proofing things? in in the creative process um you know like how do you how do you future proof an edit you shoot more like you shoot more b roll i'm kind of, the genesis story with clipping by the way really starts with with b roll and um the advent of the dslrs but you know i developed these all these systems when i was shooting b roll and it really has to do with future proofing that so that the editor has more options in the edit it's as simple mm-hmm. as that, and it can mm-hmm. be applied to news, it can be applied to, you know, marketing content, communications content, probably, you know, to, to real creative, you know, features and stuff like that to, you know, a certain degree. Um, but especially, um, in these projects where you know that you're going to be editing, um, the voiceover, you're going to be editing the interview or something like that, and you're going to have to cut to something else to cover it up. Um, you know, they say an editor has never complained about having too much B-roll. And so when you shoot, um, a lot of B-roll and a lot of coverage from a lot of different angles and different framing and stuff like that, then, you know, then you're actually doing things in a way that make things go easier Mm -hmm. for the editor. So actually most of our systems go back to that type of principle Mm -hmm. where it's like, we're, we're shooting it in a way even before we catalog and tag and stuff like that we're actually shooting in a way to give um whoever's going to be using it more options which make thing makes things go a lot faster and when you have more options well okay we use this amount of footage for this documentary and that was 10 percent, or what is it five percent you know five minutes out of 100 you end up using for um uh, for a documentary um yeah. if that But then you have all this other footage that's just kind of sitting there. And we realize, well, for documentary filmmakers, um, there's nothing wrong with that footage, right? That was really good footage. They just didn't use it for whatever reason because, you know, because of the timeline, because of the creative decisions. And why not take that footage and monetize it somehow? It doesn't, you know, use the footage that doesn't take away from your project, that doesn't distract from it. It's good footage. And, you know, you can make, you know, you can make money off it. It'll help. It'll help offset the cost of production. It'll help fund the next one. So that's kind that's of how great... we started. We started clipping really around, you know, um, streamlining the process from shooting B-roll to turning it into a saleable clip. And and our original um, you know, slogan was, shoot what you love, we'll do all the rest.
0: And we really,
1: we really started in kind of that, you know, videographers shooting B-roll and we would train them and give them guidance and give them a support structure, give them feedback. A lot of videographers never see the footage and they never look at it, let alone see if it was used or how it was used. So we give all that feedback. Um, And then of course, you know, we, we just streamline the processing to, to turn it into a saleable clip for, for stock footage. And, and then from that, we realized, okay, well, we've developed this incredible platform. What else can we do with it? And then we just realized, oh, virtual post-production for news. And then the cataloging and then, you know, all the other stuff came from there.
0: Talk to me for a moment. And I know I need to let you go because I can talk to you for hours. But there's a, uh, you have a new baby, my
1: mojo. Tell us what that is. So my mojo, um, First of all, Mojo. I thought I was a genius name in this company. Cause I came up with Mojo. I was like, okay, nobody's going to use it. I was thinking mobile journalism and like 10 seconds later, you know, I Googled it and realized that everybody else in the world uses the term mo- Mojo for mobile journalist or mobile journalism. Uh, I still think it's a cool name though. Um, but that really my Mojo, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's really, um, an easy way to send, to send footage from a mobile device for professional end uses and also to, um, marketplaces. And the, the Genesis moment for my mojo was Clippin had, um, a dozen or so, or our clients had a dozen or so DSLR shooters, um, shooting uh, on January 6th in Washington, DC. And, um, I'm not always as involved in the day-to-day and hand on, hands-on with the footage as it comes in. But for important events uh, for our clients, I really am, and I really enjoy this. My favorite part is really interacting with the videographers and and, and stuff like that. So I, I actually gave, gave these videographers a prep. A lot of them are still shooters primarily who shoot video, um, and so they're less comfortable with that. So we give them training, we give them support structure, and then we give them feedback. But in this case, we gave them a primer Um, on what type of footage we're looking for, that would be, you know, good video footage, um, anticipating that there's going to be something happening that day. Uh, everybody knew that's why they were going to be there. You know, what was the tweet? Um, it will be wild, right? We all knew it was going to be wild to a certain degree. And, um, but I've been telling my clients for probably about six months, maybe close to a year at that point that mobile was here. Um, that the quality of mobile footage, and by mobile I mean primarily phones, you know, the iPhones. Um, you know, it's 4K. It's really, it's really good quality. There's stabilization. It's easier to use. You can have better access. Every DSLR shooter has a smartphone in their pocket. Um, and so many times that they were maybe out on assignment shooting stills. And then they got a call. Oh, could you shoot some video? Well, they didn't have a tripod with them, and so with the DSLR, it's not as easy to you know stabilize it. And I I mean DSLR, I also mean the mirrorless cameras as well. Um, And and I realized that there there is a place for mobile footage, um, which many other people had been talking about years before, but I was resisting it. But anyway, I had talked to my clients about this, and they they were not hearing it. On January sixth, when when I saw the barricades go down on TV, I I, I picked up the phone, I called my clients, and I said, tell everybody to start shooting on their mobile devices. Because I knew they were in this the middle of this riot, and they were not going to be able to get the footage out. Um, And so as a result of that, we got, they started sending us the footage, and we were able to, you know, get the story out as quickly as possible, you know, break news that day, get footage that they will be looking at for hopefully you know hundreds of years um you know really really Im- important footage and but it was a mess getting the footage off the mobile device to us yeah and you know 12 different shooters were sending it 12 different ways one was yeah. texting it not realizing <laughs> on, a, on an oh. iphone you know not realizing on an iPhone that if you text it, it actually gets it automatically degrades compressed. It. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. you see that little menu at the top and then you read it and you figure out what those three different choices mean. Most people don't even know about that. Some are right. sending it on WhatsApp. Same problems getting compressed down. Mm-hmm. Um you know uh hightail, iCloud, um Google Drive, Dropbox, and on and on. And um, some were better than others. We transfer, you know, some were better than others, um, uh, but none of them had made it easy for that sender, um, to send the full res by default mm-hmm. with that source information. Mm-hmm. Who are they? What are they sending? What's the title? What's the description? Stuff like that. Um, so I realized that they, that there was an opportunity, um, for that because it was even for us, it was a mess. Now we can roll with that. Like we we kind of enjoy those situations because we're good at organizing that. But um, if we could streamline that and actually make it easy to send um, full res by default um, with the source metadata, and not just the captions they put in, but there's a wealth of metadata from a mobile device that you don't have on traditional cameras, to send that um, to somebody. Um, would make it a better user experience for the videographers. Um, you'd get it faster and easier to market, mm-hmm. and since you have that source metadata, um, you'd be growing future value um, for that for that footage as well. And what MyMojo um, does, and we're pre pre-launch at this point, we're um, anticipating launching in uh, in Q1, but it just makes it easier. It's an easier way to send uh, the you know the video files and give you more control. It's just it's optimized for mobile. It's optimized. For video, and of course, once we're once that footage is in the cloud, there's a lot more you can do with it. A lot of news organizations need it transcoded to a certain frame rate or a certain format or so, something like that, and we, you can mm-hmm. do that in the cloud. So when it downloads, it's perfectly to Spec. Maybe they want wow. to start monetizing it somehow, or there are other again marketplace endpoints that they could send to um, to Spec. It just it streamlines the process. So that's what it is. It's an, it's an app for the phone that that's a better way to send stuff and really, you know, for, for professional uses, but also if you want to increase usage and uh, and revenue from the footage.
0: And that's my mojo. M I M O J O.
1: My mojo. Yeah. M I M O J O. Right. My mojo, so, uh,
0: and we can look com. for that first quarter this coming year. You'll have to yeah. let me know when it comes out so I can just ping our listeners. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah oh my goodness screaming from the rooftop yeah (laughs) oh i'm thank you so much for everything that you do for all of us and um you know making our making our lives more efficient and easier and helping us earn some more money and it's just great because this is a this is a quandary for us on the other end i love it thank you you. I'm, I'm, i'm
1: glad you know i'm glad that you see it as a problem um, and I'm also glad that you see that this is a solution. Uh,
0: it definitely is. Yeah, definitely is. Well, um, and for everybody listening, um, I've been talking with Mick Reed, the CEO and founder of Clippin. And i look for my mojo, M-I-M-O-J-O, first quarter of next year, which I think will help all of our people who are out there shooting news and other things on iPhones. And tell people where to go to learn more about Clippin.
1: Yeah, you can just go to uh, Um Feel free to, that's C-L-I-P-P-N.com. And feel free to email me anytime, Mick, M-I-C-K, at com. And I love to talk shop, as you can tell. <laughs> I'll, talk, I'll talk anyone's ear off about this stuff. But I, I also like listening. I love hearing people's problems and ideas about this stuff too. It's it's one of the joys um, uh, that has been for me uh, um, talking to you today is that you know, this is the community. This, this is our tribe, right? And yeah. it's it's really exciting to talk to like-minded people who have the same problems, who have, you know, the same ideas. And usually there's something, a little, you know, a solution that maybe you haven't heard of. And that's how you learn, right? Absolutely. And that's how you keep expanding.
0: Absolutely. Well, he's Mick Reed. I'm Serena Catania. You've been listening to OWC Radio. And remember what I tell you guys every time, get up off your chairs. And go do something wonderful today. And while you're at it, send it to Clippin so they can help you organize it. (laughs) Happy holidays to everyone. And thank you so much for listening. And I want to thank our sponsor, Otherworld Computing, better known as OWC, for allowing me to have a wonderful show where I can talk to amazing people like Mick. You guys have a great day. And thanks again. Bye.